Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about world affairs and the people who shape it. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch, and in this show we discuss topical global issues and have in-depth conversations with personalities in foreign policy. Global Dispatches is presented in partnership with Humanity in Action, an international educational organization, and I am a Humanity in Action senior fellow. The United Nations Relief and Works Agency, known as UNRWA, is facing a crisis. This is the humanitarian agency that provides relief for Palestinian refugees in the West Bank, Gaza, Lebanon, Jordan, and Syria. This includes running hospitals and schools that serve about half a million children. Typically, the United States has provided about one-third of UNRWA's overall budget, judging the organization to be a source of stability in an otherwise volatile region. The Trump administration, however, has frozen U.S. payments to the humanitarian agency. It did so in retaliation to a vote at the U.N. General Assembly in which member states overwhelmingly condemned the Trump administration's decision to formally recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel and move its embassy there. Withholding promised funding for the humanitarian relief for Palestinian refugees was the Trump administration's payback for this vote. On the line with me to discuss what this budget crisis means on the ground for Palestinian refugees is Peter Mulreen, director of UNRWA's representative office in New York. We also discuss the history of UNRWA, the role it serves in Palestinian society and politics in the region, and how it might overcome this funding crisis imposed by the Trump administration. This is a good deep dive into an issue that is a deep concern at the United Nations and also in the region. A few quick things before we begin. A big thank you to all of you who are leaving a review of the podcast on iTunes. I say this often, I know, but these reviews are are very helpful to the podcast. They boost it in search rankings for people who are looking for international affairs podcasts. If you leave a review, send me an email via the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com and I will mail you a Global Dispatches podcast sticker. Uh, Speaking of iTunes, unless you formally subscribe to the podcast, you access only the recent 300 episodes. I know that's a lot of recent episodes, but I've been doing this for years, and the archive of shows is actually quite robust. Uh, Many of these older episodes are evergreen. That is, you can listen to them pretty much anytime they'll be relevant. It's not necessarily on something topical, but it's someone interesting telling me about their life and career with some digressions about historic foreign policy events along the way. To access these older episodes, all you need to do is hit the subscribe button on iTunes and they will all be there. Uh, Lastly, for you regular listeners, that is for those of you who eagerly anticipate and look forward to each episode, I want to strongly encourage you to consider becoming a premium subscriber. You would be helping the show big time, keeping our lights on, and also the quality of this content high. It, It would enable me and allow me to devote more time and effort into this podcast. 
If you become a premium subscriber, you will unlock some rewards, including bonus episodes and access to my daily global news clips service. This is a hand-curated email of the top global humanitarian news that I send out every single morning. Most of the subscribers to this news service are people who work in the industry, uh, and you can have the same access as they do by becoming a premium subscriber. Just click on the link on globaldispatchespodcast.com to support the show and unlock these rewards. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And now here is my conversation with Peter Mulreen, Director of UNRWA's Representative Office in New York. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. To start off with a little history, UNRWA was established uh, at the end of 1949 and actually got going in 1950 to deal with the situation of Palestine refugees who had fled their homes during the 1948 conflict um, and the beginning of the state of Israel. And it it was set up as a temporary agency to provide relief and other assistance to the Palestine refugees. Um, And it has continued to be a temporary agency, though it has been renewed every three years for the past 68 years now. Yeah, it's, it's a temporary agency nearly as old as the United Nations itself. Yeah, exactly. It's it's about at retirement age, but we're going strong, unfortunately, because the situation hasn't been resolved yet. Um, the advantage, obviously, of that type of experience is that UNRWA has you know deep roots in both the communities and the way it it uh, delivers assistance, which has made it a very effective and cost effective um, deliverer of assistance over time. Well, can you can you describe a little bit about how its uh, role, its activities have evolved over time in the region? I mean, even as the um, you know politics of the the region have have changed. Right. The as I said, the the mandate for UNRWA is to deal with the humanitarian challenges faced by Palestine refugees um, during the period until a just and lasting solution to the political situation is found. And so, you know, while this started off as you know purely you know, classic short-term humanitarian relief in terms of, of shelter and food, it, in a not very long period of time, uh, evolved into providing some of the fundamental assistance because the mandate now actually reads that it's also to help these Palestine refugees uh, achieve their human potential. So to do that, we have focused, in addition to the relief where it's still needed, on questions of education and health care. 
This uh, means that, you know, we provide education for children up through ninth grade in most places, 10, 10th grade in one, and primary health care to over 3 million Palestine refugees at this point. That has consistently been over past decades the, the core of our mission, um, education and health care, as well as taking care of the most needy. We've seen, unfortunately, over the last decade, um, the, the needs, the relief needs of the most needy increase, particularly with the blockade in Gaza and with the conflict in Syria that forced a lot of Palestine refugees to live there um, to flee or to either internally or to primarily Lebanon as well. And and it's worth pointing out that uh, your organization works not just in, in West Bank and in Gaza, but in Lebanon and Syria and Jordan as well, where are you know where, where there are thousands, hundreds of thousands of, of Palestinian refugees. Exactly. It has um and you know I've I've visited all of our different operations in the region, and really each country or area has its unique set of challenges um, that the refugees face. And so, you know, we've we've really developed over time an assistance program that tries to match the basic needs of these refugees wherever they are. Um, so we are speaking uh, at a moment of, of peril, it would seem, for UNRWA. Um, the United States has historically been the largest funder of the single largest funder of UNRWA. But uh, in recent weeks and months, uh, the United States has dramatically cut the uh, its funding to, uh, to UNRWA. And this uh, was announced in the wake of a vote at the General Assembly condemning America's decision to uh, relocate the U.S. Embassy to uh, Israel to Jerusalem from Tel Aviv, and uh, now it seems that the Trump administration is, in response, sharply reducing its contributions to UNRWA. Can you just just walk me through the numbers? What exactly uh, has the the Trump administration done in terms of its its funding restrictions? Well, what it's done is actually create a an existential crisis for UNRWA because as you said the the US has traditionally been the largest donor and best partner of UNRWA through the years it last year provided 364 million dollars to UNRWA and it's been providing in that range for several years and you know the it's not just the magnitude, but it was the suddenness of the decision that put us in a really perilous decision uh, situation, as you said, because, you know, this came out of the blue for us. We, we have regular discussions with the United States. And through the end of last year, based on those discussions, we thought that, you know, the partnership was continuing along the same uh, line and that the levels of funding would be continuing. You know, we had every expression from the U.S. government that it was satisfied with the work that UNRWA was doing. And then, um, as you mentioned, you know, early in this year, in January, suddenly they announced that they would only be providing $60 million, which compared to the 364 from last year is, you know, a devastating cut, again, because also 
it came out of the blue. So we had virtually no time to adjust and plan how to respond to these things. So we've been in crisis mode since January, essentially figuring out how to get enough funds to get some breathing space while we do the resource mobilization to try and keep our efforts going throughout the year. So how, if at all, have these cuts affected operations on the ground? Or is it sort of too soon uh, it, that you expect the, the, the worst impacts to happen sometime in the near future? Yeah, it's it's a little soon yet because one of the first things we did was we asked our other traditional donors to advance their funding. You know, those who normally give a little bit later in the year, we asked them to 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 contribute their funds early this year. So fortunately now 24 donors have forwarded their funding, uh, which has given us the breathing space to figure out how else we go about addressing this. But to, to get back to your question, while the immediate impact has not yet been felt, I mean, let's look at what's at stake here. We're talking about education to over half million girls and boys in 700 schools, healthcare, primary healthcare to over 3 million refugees. There were 9 million patient visits last year. We have 1.7 million refugees who are food insecure and who depend on UNRWA for either food or cash to keep them well-nourished, a million of them alone in Gaza. And we can maybe talk about Gaza later because it's a, it's a particularly um, difficult situation right now. So what's at stake is is the very heart of UNRWA's programs. And it, it has an impact on both the human level, as I said, you know, kids not being able to go to school, not getting health care, not getting food, but also you know, one thing that we we tend to lose sight of in the day-to-day terms is that UNRWA's very presence and all of the this assistance that it's providing has a real stabilizing effect in the region. So we feel that, you know, through our activities, we are also playing a key role in contributing to stability by providing these refugees with a sense of hope and a sense of dignity so that they have some horizon to look forward to. You know, it's, and, and it's, well, I should say, I mean, that that's part of the reason, presumably, why the United States has been uh, such a, a large funder of UNRWA for, for, you know, decades since its inception. And, you know, presumably, you know, you read about UNRWA and sometimes it's a little controversial in Israeli politics, but it does seem that the Israeli security establishment also has, has sort of given its support, tacit perhaps, to, to UNRWA for its stabilizing effect in, in the region. I think that's absolutely correct that we, you know, we maintain good relations with the Israeli defense forces and security forces because of their, the role that they play on the ground as well. And, you know, they're very conscious of this stabilizing role that UNRWA plays. And, you know, 
in terms of stability, as you said, it's one of the reasons why the U.S. has con- uh, been consistently one of our best partners. And part of being one of the best partners is being a predictable partner. And this gets back to the whole question of the suddenness of the decision. Uh, you know, we do our planning based on expected funds to come. And we had assurances from the U.S. at the end of 2017 that there would be funds coming. You know, there was certain there was procurement of some food we did for Gaza based on an assurance of that funding that then the money didn't come through on it. So it's, you know, as we look at, you know, the U.S., desires to see humanitarian agencies act efficiently and use good management practices. What has happened to us because of this sudden drastic cut in funding is it's forced us into crisis mode. And that's the worst place to carry out good planning and and good management because you're sort of going from week to week to make sure you can just keep things going. So this is why we've, we've undertaken some activities to try and get a better footing um, from other donors. We have launched a, an individual contribution campaign that's, that's called Dignity is Priceless, really trying to take advantage of the goodwill of people who do see the, the important work that UNRWA is doing. And I, I would strongly encourage your listeners to take a look at that. It's hashtag dignity is, is priceless. And you can also go on our website, our Facebook page, um, which is UNRWA unrwa.org. And I really encourage them to do that because there they can also take a look at the work we're doing, take a look at the extraordinary achievements UNRWA has come up with over the years. And if they like what they see, they should make a contribution. So, so beyond uh, individual contributions, uh, the United Nations held a, an emergency funding summit, or I suppose it was some European governments were, were the host. But I know, I know uh, the Secretary General was there as well on March 15th in Rome um, to try to fill this funding gap left by the United States. What was accomplished uh, at that meeting? It it was an extraordinary meeting um, in every sense of the term. As you said, the UN Secretary General was there. It was hosted by the foreign ministers of Jordan, Sweden, and Egypt. It had really significant high-level attendance. We had prime ministers there, a lot of foreign ministers there. And so, you know, two things came out of it that that were very good news for UNRWA. You know, this is, we're talking only a couple of months after the crisis began, we had an extraordinary high-level display of political solidarity for UNRWA and its humanitarian achievements. It was a clear signal that all of these countries believe that the work is important and that the mandate should continue. The second good bit of news was that we um, received pledges for $100 million in new contributions to UNRWA. So this is above and beyond um, what had already been pledged in the past. And, you know, that really is good news that so quickly after the crisis begins, we can get a significant amount of money there. The bad news, of course, is that we're still facing a shortfall of over $300 million. And, you know, that's essentially um, 
the amount of the money that's not coming from the U.S. Had we had this conference and the U.S. had not reduced its funding, we'd actually be in a pretty good place right now early in the year to get through our our year normally. But again, because of this drastic cut, we still face over $300 million um, financial shortfall. So we still have a lot of work to do. So, so uh, I guess real talk here, I mean, it, it seems that that $300 million shortfall is not going to come from the United States. Um, I, I know initially they, they cut just a first installment of, of its funds, but um, based on the reporting around the interagency debate at the time, it would seem that uh, Nikki Haley was the one pushing for a, a total cut of, of U.S. contributions to UNRWA, whereas Rex Tillerson, the Secretary of State, uh, wanted to moderate that a bit, and and uh, we ended up with just a a you know a sixty million dollar pledge leaving that that still a, a giant gap. But it would seem that with the firing of Rex Tillerson um, and and new changes in the U.S. national security uh, establishment and cabinet, that that money will not be coming from from the United States. So, or I guess that's my. That's what I would surmise. I don't know if you have a different sort of take on on where this extra money might come from. Well, you know, we would still obviously welcome a contribution from the United States. Um, We have not yet had it clearly explained to us by the U.S. government uh, what exactly um, it is would be seeking from UNRWA. It, it, we've heard talk of reforms, but we laid out at the ministerial conference all the reforms that we've already undertaken and those that we still plan to take. Um, we've not had it clearly expressed to us um, what additional uh, measures it would take to see if the U.S. were interested in giving more funding. But as you said, I think at this point, given the sort of unreliability of the decision-making process, we can't count on that money coming in. So as I said, we are, we're looking at all different avenues. There were a number of other countries that made it clear during the ministerial conference that they are looking at additional funding. We will keep up our, um, our urgent work in trying to get them to come on board with more funding. We're working in addition to the the individual contributions on campaigns during Ramadan in Muslim majority countries for um, you know campaigns that would be linked to the the traditional Ramadan uh, giving or zakat as as it's called in uh, the Arab world uh, for UNRWA. We are also, you know, talking, we're setting up a trust fund with the World Bank that we are hoping will attract additional funding, this time from more development sources of funding um, and not just humanitarian sources of funding, in addition to an endowment fund at the Islamic Development Bank. But, you know, make no mistake about it, we're doing a lot of work, but it's going to be very hard. It's a huge gap to fill. We are hoping that the messaging, and I I think one of the things we saw in Rome was a clear understanding that this is not just sort of business as usual with a little shortfall to fill, but that the stakes are tremendously high. As I mentioned earlier, you know, if you look at a, a situation such as Gaza with 
you know, people are already on edge. There is economic privation after 10 years of a blockade. They have no mobility. There's limited electricity. They're running out of potable water. If, if UNRWA now can't provide education and healthcare, it has to make you wonder, you know, where is the breaking point for these people? So we're staring at potentially dire situations. And we certainly hope that as other governments look at the seriousness of this situation, they will come forward with additional funding. So just, just take for a moment, um, a, a plausible scenario in my mind, which is a, a bad scenario. I don't know if it's like the worst case scenario, but it's, it, it seems to me at this point, sort of observing things from afar, that it's going to be very, very difficult to fill that funding gap. So what does that look like on the ground, say in, in places like, like Gaza or in Jordan or, or elsewhere? Like how do these cuts affect individuals like are you going to have to close schools like is there a plan for closing schools or like what do you like reduce the the days of week children can go to schools like what's the what's the plan or what's the expected well, outcome sure there are well the expected and hoped for um, outcome is that we do fill the gap um in the case that we don't um there there aren't any really good choices i mean essentially we have with the current projected income, including what was pledged in Rome, um, UNRWA will be able to complete the current school year and remain uh, and maintain its full range of other operations until you know sometime in in the summer, mid to late summer. At that point, without additional significant resources coming in. You are faced with a lot of a lot of bad options because you know we we need to look at where the most dire needs are, where the the largest amount of money is being spent, and then figure out how to minimize the negative impact because you've you've got both you know the immediate humanitarian impact if you start looking at things like food assistance or or vital health care or you've got the longer term very hard societal impact if you start looking at things like school closings you know unra has unlike many un agencies and this i think isn't commonly known unra has 30,000 employees. We are the direct service provider, unlike a lot of UN agencies. So the, we hire the teachers, we, you know, we build the schools and the doctors and all of, all of the healthcare workers are under employees. So a, a great deal of where our costs go is into salaries, it's into the cash and, and food assistance, and it's into procuring medicines. Um, you can i'm i'm not in a position to say at this point exactly what happens at what date but you know the choices are are not very many you you cut medical assistance you close schools you reduce um food assistance none of those is a good choice i guess Finally, in terms of looking for for new sources of funds, 
how optimistic or or I should say how realistic is it that we can expect significant new contributions from say the the Gulf Arab countries well i think it's realistic in the sense that you know the the resources do exist even though you know we understand there are you know competing needs for those resources but when you when you compare the resources that exist to the interests that are at stake whether for the the gulf arab states because of stability in the region whether for european states because you know ultimately if things were to go very badly you couldn't preclude the situation of additional refugees leaving the region and heading for Europe. So I I think that at the end of the day, while $300 million certainly sounds like a lot of money, and it is a significant amount of money, these funds exist among the donors. And if and when the situation comes to a point when they realize that the the interests and what's at stake are vital to them, we certainly hope that they will come forward with the money. Uh, is there anything else you want to, to uh, discuss or, or get in or anything you think I'm missing here? The, the only thing that I'd like to add, because it's, it's something that is unfortunate about, uh, unfortunate about the discussions that I have a lot these days. We focus on the crisis. We focus on you know everything that's going wrong, and it's why I I suggested people take a look at our website, go on our Facebook page, because UNRWA is over sixty eight years a tremendously good news story. Our education system has been recognized by the World Bank and others as being a model for humanitarian situations where, you know, compared to the national systems, our schools are a year ahead in accomplishments. We we use innovative techniques in our healthcare system. We've developed a whole sort of e-health system where where everything has been digitized that that, you know, for example, in maternal health care, women have apps on their smartphones that talk to them about the the type of care they need that set the the next um, appointments they need to come to. UNRWA has been a tremendously successful enterprise in human development. And that's why I think it is particularly um, tragic that all of this is at risk right now because there haven't been a lot of good stories coming out of you know the Palestinian communities over the last several decades. But UNRWA is one of them. We give we are, we are creating the basis for a healthy Palestinian society. If you have well-educated children, if you have a healthy society, those are the foundations on which you can eventually build a, a society. So I, I don't like to only have UNRWA as the victim being the subject of our discussions. UNRWA is a tremendous success story, and I hope people learn to appreciate that. Uh, well, Peter, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Peter. And yeah, I mean, ho- hopefully uh, Unroll will, will get the, the funding that they need to 
keep providing the services on the ground that they do that, that's so necessary to peace and stability in the region. Once again, a big thank you to all of you premium subscribers and to everyone who has left a review on iTunes. Seriously, huge thank you. It means so, so much to me that this podcast means so much to you. I will see you next time. Bye. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the policies or positions of Humanity in Action.